Hello and welcome to another episode of The Philosophy Guy. So today's episode is another interview-based episode where we're going to dive into a fun conversation today with Michelle Janikian. She's a journalist who is focused on drug policy and basically the whole world around that and psychedelics and the culture around it and all the really fun stuff. And the conversation was really, really fun. I really enjoyed it. It flowed nicely. And she is the author of your Psilocybin Mushroom Companion uh, yeah, it's like kind of basically like a mushroom guide, magic mushroom guide for adults and, and people that are trying to get to know more about the space and the culture and, and safe use and the research and all that good stuff. So she's a journalist. She got her starts writing about cannabis for publications like High Times, Rolling Stone, and Herb. Now she writes a column for Playboy on all things drug-related and also contributes regularly to Double Blind. And I checked that mag out and it, it's a very wonderful mag as well, and is including Mary Jane, Psychedelics Today, and others. She's passionate about the, the healing potential of psychedelic plants and substances, especially psilocybin and cannabis, and the legalization and destigmatization of all drugs, which this is why I wanted to bring her on. It's one of those episodes where I'm very much agreeing with the guest, but it was fun to kind of dive into not only what's going on with some of the research, but also what's going on in the counterculture and the culture and how the culture has shifted in our discussion around these substances and this medicine and, and drugs. And yeah, just kind of where do we go from here? And yeah, we we basically... Uh, cover a large space in the discussion of the psychedelic space and the cannabis space and all of that and kind of just spirituality we get into as well. So yeah, I really want everyone to kind of tune into this one and enjoy the episode and we kind of dive deep in this one. So let's enter the labyrinth. Yeah, so I guess oh. I guess like the first question to ask you is how did you get into the psychedelic and also I know you you do the cannabis space as well. How did you get into that cultural space? Yeah, I mean, I bet it's not a huge surprise that I was a person who liked to use these substances and <laughs> found them really curious. Right. <laughs> and you know, I got into them like way before I started writing about them and getting in to it more professionally, like, uh, over 10, 13, 14 years ago or more, probably as a teenager, like a lot of us. And, you know, a lot of my big mission with like writing about drugs and harm reduction and safe use and like the health aspects is really that when I was a teen in like the early 2000s, they're just like, there, this stuff existed, but it wasn't right. super accessible and mainstream. There was Arrowhead and Blue Light and that stuff still exists and is amazing. But like, I just didn't really know what I was doing. I was kind of reckless. You know, I wasn't always mm -hmm. going in with intention and using this stuff really safely and really didn't even know that was like an option. I was just like, drugs, woo. Right. <laughs> and, you know, that definitely had its pitfalls. I got into some risky situations and I lost some friends to overdoses and lots of challenging stuff. And so as an adult, now that I'm looking into it, 
there's just like so much nuance and there's so much I want to share with people. And there's so much about, you can still use substances. Like it doesn't have to be a yes or no, like this is good or bad, even though it is legal or illegal, but that's like another thing. But (laughs) to really show people like there's a safe way to do it and there's things to consider and to not take it, but also to like then once I got into the psychedelic space, there was all these like hard rules and all this stuff that also like was perpetuating these like stigmas that is really like my whole goal is to break them. Be and that's mm-hmm. another big motivator for me is like the harm reduction info, like providing that and also just breaking the stigma, like first about cannabis and that you can be a productive member of society, whatever that means. You can just like, you know, be a nice person, pay your taxes, go to work and still consume cannabis often it's not like an either or uh but yeah and then but then when I got into the psychedelic space more professionally it seemed like you know I was doing it wrong or there's right and wrong ways and I really like am also kind of like into breaking those taboos and to always keep people safe. I think that's the right way, but Mm -hmm. to really just let people do what feels right for them to give them all the information, like what other people are doing and then they can really choose what sits with them because what sits with an old white man might not sit with everybody. And so trying to like just give more voices uh, or more opinions of voice. And it's been an exciting journey, <laughs> but that's, that's how I got here anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's, and, and when I was like listening to you, it really resonated with me is the, well, one, just, I'm really like that idea around just allowing people personal responsibility to kind of figure that side of things out for themselves. But also, you know, I'm, I'm a young person, I'm in my mid twenties and, going through high school and, and middle school, I just remember, you know, the D.A.R.E. program, for example, that the, mm-hmm. the government Same. instituted. And, you know, the, the, the education they gave us through that was very, like, scare tactics. And one of the things that really bothered me even then, which transitioned into probably some of my interests now, and when I have to admit that, <laughs> Is is how it was. It was scare tactics, and then you, and then as a society, you see, I, I would say, curious kids, cu- curious young people, see something like alcohol, which is okay, is accepted by society more, and you just see kind of the destructive nature that that has sometimes. So, I think for a lot of people that are in this space, I think they kind of read into that little bit of BS there, where they're like, oh. What's going on here? What what else am I being not given the yeah. full picture about? Uh, and and that was what really piqued my interest because you know I was I've always been against kind of on you know getting my introduction to philosophy and in this kind of space around psychedelics. I was first kind of into politics and I've kind of moved away from that. But really, it was seeing the kind of narrative around that that just didn't the dots didn't all connect. There was something something missing there. And, and I think that's why people like you, yourself, and just educational tools to kind of help spread a more accurate picture of what's actually going on and what's actually out there, because we can't always trust the authority figures that society seems to accept. So yeah, that was kind of like to give you a why I really wanted to have someone like you on. Um, but yeah, it's just, I think... That's a common trend also now, which I like seeing, which it's almost like 
moving away from the whole counterculture thing where people are starting to to see that there's a lot of BS going on where we're not being told everything accurately, I guess. There's more to the story there. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I feel you. It's a big motivator for me too. And it's funny that you came to that from dare i think a lot of people come to that from all different it might not be like from the drug education maybe like sex education or other Mm. you know what you learn about race or other things and then you realize like well probably what i learned about drugs is wrong probably what i learned about relationships and marriage and all this stuff (laughs) could just be like one person's opinion and i think psychedelics do a really good job of just opening yourself up to other points of view or perspectives or just like giving you a new perspective on your own point of view and biases and stuff to maybe try to break them slowly or you know whatever your goals are whatever you end up seeing but it's definitely all very related and it's really cool to see other people feeling that way and coming like openly public with this stuff that it's like uh feels very much like we're at a pivotal point in history i hope it's like a tipping point in a way but yeah that's a whole other thing (laughs) yeah that's 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 really interesting it kind of like sparked because when i was listening to you it it kind of one of the questions i wanted to ask you about is we do see this trend of it becoming less stigmatized i guess you could say psychedelics and and also cannabis throw cannabis in there um that's another topic if you consider cannabis a psychedelic but but first is is like as we see this trend of people people have become skeptical of what they've been told and now they're seeking out information from people like yourself so with that trend do you do you see it becoming cuz it still isn't mainstream by any means but do you see it becoming mainstream and do you want it to become mainstream cuz it's a thought I that I've been contemplating yeah. same right like I know I can be kind of stuck in my bubble and my like news feeds and whatever. It feels very right. mainstream. Like everyone's really that, like, 100%. you haven't had ayahuasca yet. <laughs> like what's wrong with you? Kind of like, and I'm like, yeah. whoa, actually like, we're actually like really far out. If this is like some kind of graph or like outliers. Mm. Right. But I mean, I think that like mainstreaming psychedelics definitely has pros and cons and I think we are on this more acceptance path. Like I just had this really interesting conversation with an old friend of mine who been like catching up with a lot of old friends that we weren't like calling each other a lot. And now we like Mm -hmm. are all the time because we're all stuck at home. (laughs) And um, he was telling me that his mom, who is a psychiatrist who like was uh, working on like one of these ketamine infusion clinics has now like really been interested in mushrooms and we were like you know getting her my book and like how is she gonna use mushrooms safely she's like in her 60s maybe older she's like this really professional woman like I don't know and it was just so interesting to hear these kinds of things that there are all these like older people who are reading the research and are coming to an acceptance and that's cool and I think we're on that kind of like upward trend And that's kind of like who I thought the target audience of my book was, like more like first time mushroom users of any Mm -hmm. age, you know, really wanting to do this super well. So they're going to read a whole book first instead of just like (laughs) take mushrooms at a party or whatever and see what happens. And, And it is cool to see this, this trend toward 
this like safe, intentional use, open use of these like mind expanding substances. But then I guess where I get a little nervous or like protective of my psychedelics is like when the wellness like industry is like getting really interested. And it's like, that's cool because they are like sort of helping progress this normalization, but then it becomes this whole other thing where it's like microdosing for like, you know, measurable depression relief and all these things where I think they're starting to like miss the point of like, why would you want to open your mind that much and the things you're going to learn? And it might help with your depression, but it might make you way more depressed at first if you're learning all this stuff that you believe to be true is like total BS or things that like your own, if you've been lying to yourself, I think there's a lot of like things people come to and it's really hard at first. Um, It could still have a lot of benefits, but like, I don't know, I get worried some stuff's getting lost in translation when it's getting taken over by that kind of like goop lab wellness culture type Mm -hmm. Uh, industry. So I just really hope that there can be like a balance in some way. And then there's also like the whole capitalism getting involved in pharmaceutical companies and will there be access? And, you know, that's a whole other thing we can dive into, but I think that it's both good and bad. I'm both scared and excited. (laughs) Short answer, you know? Yeah. And I basically agree with all the sentiment (laughs) you just said. Uh, And and I guess I'll start with the one the one area is the realization that for the circle that I'm in, the people I surround myself with, the people I talk to, it starts sounding really mainstream. Like people are all oh, people are all coming on board, even the stuff I read online, all that stuff. And sometimes you forget the echo chamber you kind of create for yourself. You forget that you're in one. Cause then all of a sudden I mentioned it to mention it to like a a good friend who isn't really in the space, but like they're a good friend. So you just naturally kind of bring it up. And then they're kind of like, if you mention the word ayahuasca, they're like, what the fuck's that? You know, (laughs) you're like, oh, wait, you don't know what that is. And then another one's like conversations with parents who, you know, they believed in the D.A.R.E. program, for example. They thought it was great. They wanted their kid to be a leader in the D.A.R.E. program, yada, yada, yada. That's a whole other awakening of, oh, wait, like... I'm in this other space and there's a lot of education of the public to do and a kind of like transition into the mainstream ideas. Yeah. Like I said, I have a lot of the same sentiments of worry of the need for a balance because part of me is like, yeah, I really want the wellness community to embrace it because it takes away a lot of stigma, stigmatization Um, because in that wellness community, there's a lot of, kind of corporate people or what the mainstream would call like the professional people, the, the well to do members of society. Those are the people that embrace that. And that that's a good way to take away the stigma. Uh, but yeah. And I guess my worry is still of it becoming taken over by, I guess, I guess, I guess we could get into this part. Um, a little bit of like, yeah, the capitalist side and the pharmaceutical, mostly the pharmaceutical industry side, where they want to basically take it, regulate it, and then basically just profit off of it and still stigmatize people that do it for recreational use. So that's a whole 
another conversation there because I think that could be a big issue as the destigmatization comes because <laughs> I guess gets slightly political is as the destigmatization comes, the pharmaceutical industry is going to take note of that, that their certain parts of their industry are going to be basically attacked because of what the research is showing about, you know, what it's what it can do for depression, for example. That's a big profit area for them. So yeah, I, I guess maybe we want to dive into that because that's kind of where my thoughts went right now. <laughs> yeah, and I guess like I also get worried about, you see a lot of headlines now about researchers looking to take the bad trip out of psychedelics. And that's where yeah. I get the, the whole, like they're missing the point thing. It's like, how would that even work? It just gets <laughs> under my skin, like... I don't know. And so I think that they're kind of like trying to bypass all the learning and hard work you have to Mm. do to like choose this path. Like if you want to heal through psychedelics, it's not easy. It's not like you have, I think that the media and, you know, as a member of the media, I'm trying to like change this, but I think when we first were reporting a lot about psychedelics, it was like this story that it was like one high dose trip can change your life forever. Totally heal you. Never be depressed again. All your problems will be solved. And it was so ridiculous. And as someone who like takes psychedelics every month or so to try to like work on another little part of me that needs help. (laughs) It was like, no, it's a really long and difficult process. It's not Mm -hmm. this like one strong trip that, you know, is changes everything. Like, yeah, your first trip does sort of like, change everything maybe in this like way where you start opening up. But if you really want to heal from depression or anxiety or PTSD, I think it's like, it's going to be a lot more than one trip. It's going to be a lot more than the trip itself. And the bad trip part is a really big part of that because, you know, the word integration is really overused in our community, but maybe not everyone listening know what it is, but it's like this, idea that a lot of the work you do in healing and psychedelics is when you're not tripping. It's like processing your trip, integration, yeah. Applying those lessons, changing yourself. That shit's really hard. Like you can see that something's wrong when you're on mushrooms. But like when you go back to your everyday life, you still have to make those changes. And I think when we start, yeah, like the pharmaceutical company starts getting involved, they're still in their trip their you know way of viewing the world where it's mm-hmm. like you take a pill and you're better and you move on and or you take a pill every day your whole life and you give us money all the time so you can function in a capitalist society and like i just think that that whole paradigm is wrong and that like that's just not how it's going to work and um and even if the psychedelic assisted therapy becomes legal you know it's like where it probably would be ongoing trips and therapy and a lot of hard work, you know, on the part of the individual who wants to heal. It's going to be mad expensive because a the therapist's time right. is really expensive, right? And so, and then these trip days are like eight hours and eight hours times $200 an hour per person. And there's two therapists or like whatever. It's just like really inaccessible Uh, to a lot of folks. And so if we only legalize that therapy part and then, yeah, we're still stigmatizing and arresting people who are doing this work on their own, that's 
you know, troublesome. And then at the same time too, if we're legalizing this and we're not like, I also get like a little upset that then there'd be like, what about reparations for indigenous communities who have been arrested for peyote in Texas or stuff for years. And like their whole societies have been like destroyed over this stuff. And then we're just going to like legalize it and just put it in the hands of like PhD doctors you have to be so privileged to get to that point anyway. I don't know. There's a lot to it, but there's yeah. like a lot of benefits to having it above ground too, because accountability is a real thing. Abuse by therapists to clients in the underground world is a real thing. It's, it's really complicated. So I try I, not to take one side, <laughs> but there's a lot to, yeah, my mind's too open or something. <laughs> You know, I feel I feel that because I'm I constantly am trying to like figure out the best way to gather my thoughts about this because I I'm going to say again I have a lot of the same sentiments because yeah it, it'll be great if we can get it legalized for therapeutic use but the other side of me is like okay well maybe we should be focusing even more on just decriminalization. Because like you said, I agree a lot is if you legalize it in one area in that particular area that's in the medical field, the health field, it, the walls go up for who gets to have it. And yeah. <laughs> therapy right now is very expensive. And if it's a tool that doesn't have like, yes, you need to educate yourself, but it's not dangerous in the sense of, I would say alcohol is, then yeah, we really need to look at that idea around decriminalization because- why should we block off just most of the population, if we're being honest, from still basically having access to, I would say, access to that destigmatization? Because once they put it in the therapeutic side, there's there's still a stigma there of like, oh, wait, you do it, you do it for fun? Like, oh, that's that's not the yeah. way it's supposed to be used. And then and then it's like, okay, there we go again of culture telling us what is good and what is bad when really it's like do you really know? Have you like taken the time to educate yourself and understand various nooks and crannies in this? Com- like, cause it's a vast community, just like I think most communities have little various ideas all around that are really interesting. And, and yeah, I, the other sentiment I fully agree with is maybe I'm like just too open where I just, I see <laughs> a lot of negatives everywhere and I see a lot of positives that could happen. And it's like really hard for me to kind of put my stake down anywhere, which I, I'm not saying I really want to put my stake down of like, oh, this is what we should do. But I'm always see, feel like I'm the guy <laughs> that like I've encountered organizations that are like even propping up in Utah of like going for that certain type of like legalized route. And I'm like, okay. And then I bring up that whole like decriminalization point that I just brought up is like, well, what if that creates all these walls that just basically people are still going to prison for it, which yeah. is I think one of the biggest problems around it is just in general. So yeah, that's kind of some thoughts there where I just feel you on the sense of where, where do you go? Cause it's just so complicated, but it's also fun to contemplate. So yeah. Yeah. And to write about publicly, I guess. I don't know. No. Yeah. And speak about publicly. I've kind of like recently been more open about psychedelics just because I feel like the stigmatization has gone down enough and I feel safe enough with like hmm. income and job and stuff, but still, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, but it's good that you're like talking about how I think it's like that. Yeah. Like decriminalization and just like not stigmatizing against people who do it for 
curiosity or fun or just like you and your partner want to just like have a fun stay home date night where you travel together but you never leave home and you know these kinds of things that are like well if it's not serious work for depression if you're not doing the work then you're not doing it right and and you know it kind of reminded me when you were talking like when I was researching the book at first I you know I had to like write this book on how to do it safely. So I was like, man, what's the right way to trip? Like I got really deep in that. Like, and then it was like a pretty obvious realization that it was like, there's no one right way. Like everyone's going to have their own way and you can teach people safe use stuff. And like, you know, you can teach them to like how to avoid those pitfalls that we've all fallen in. We're like, you know, like maybe you tidy your house first so you don't like freak out about the grime in your kitchen on acid or something like little things like, but it reminds me of what you were saying because I don't also like just like there's no one way to trip. I don't know if there's one right way to to go about this like me neither. movement, <laughs> right? There's too many so unknowns. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I also to kind of like go off your earlier point about this idea of because I do see this where the culture is all this research is coming out and there's this sentiment of, oh, it's like this cure all. You know, you take five gram hero dose and your life has changed forever or you go down to Peru and do an ayahuasca ceremony and your life has changed forever. And yeah, that's the other thing I kind of push back on is that's not what it means. It's not, it's not, how do I phrase this? It's like the way I like best to understand it for myself. So maybe people don't interpret it this way, but I see it as a tool for just awareness of what you're feeling. It's not, it's not making your feelings better. It's making you aware of your feelings. So like, like you were saying earlier is, yes, it, it's, a, it's a lifelong journey. And that's where I, I also push back on people where I've been healed, which, which I get that sentiment. Like if there's a trauma, under, underlying trauma that they kind of healed from, I get that. But it, you're never like actually healed where the sense of like where I, I translate that into, oh, I'm healed I'm, or I'm enlightened or all this. I'm like... There's no, there's no end point to achieve. <laughs> you just, it's constant process, which I think is, that's the beautiful part of it, which some people don't have that sentiment that I do, but I think that like, I don't want to be done. <laughs> Once you're done, what, what is there to do? <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, so that, that, I kind of like that you brought that up before because that's what I see as also becoming possibly an issue where yeah, people, if they go into it thinking, I'm going to be healed forever, and then all of a sudden they come out and they're start, starting questioning everything in life, and they think like, oh, look what it's done to me. This is terrible. This this isn't what it's supposed to happen. I was told that I was going to be healed. And that's where I see yeah. it as like that dangerous language of these kind of absolutes start coming up, where you're right. You're right. It's it's not necessarily the case, It's but it's to me, if I'm going to, I don't like to sell anything on people, but talk to people about it i I bring up that point is no it just makes you aware of what's going on inside of you there's still a lot of work to be done just as i'm doing a lot of work still right so it's that similar thing and and an issue i feel like commonly pops up as well yeah i mean i think i see that like and that was a big worry with me for the book and i really tried to make sure it didn't promise healing like that it can help 
like little things, like not little things, like that there is no absolute healing. And I think that Mm. I was almost a little disappointed about that. (laughs) And people can be like really disappointed. Like, well, I deal with like a lot of anxiety sometimes. And like, I really wanted mushrooms to just like take that whole way. You know, like I just didn't want to get so nervous and sweaty before I called a new source for the first time. Like when I'm doing new stores, like it's this like really scary feeling. I'm like, does everyone feel this? Ah." (laughs) And like, maybe they don't, maybe that is like personal to me, but like, yeah, it's not about totally eliminating that. Like that might get easier once I learn some other stuff about myself. Right. And I start to heal like why does that happen? You have to go really deep and it hurts and it's weird and awkward and you remember these things and, or you contemplate how society has treated you or like, you know, and it can get pretty deep and existential and depressing. And, but I think there can be like, then you can, but you can heal these little things at the other side, but you really have to, you know, start using some of the psychedelic community language, like face Mm. your shadow instead of like turn away from it and be ashamed of it. And just like keep in that cycle, you have to be like, why are you here? And like, you know, and then you can start to process it, but it's a lot like, and it's taken me a lot of reading into the psychedelic research and theories. Um, you know, and really getting back into the older stuff from like the 70s and 60s to start to like really form a whole picture of how this works because we're only getting little snippets in these like Newsweek articles, you know, and exactly. uh, there's like so much to it. So, yeah, I encourage people to go back and read as much like I'm really getting a lot of benefit from reading some of the older psychedelic literature. And they were saying the same things that we're like saying now is like discoveries. It's like, no, this idea has been around. And if the psychedelic scientists in the sixties are saying it, then, you know, like indigenous communities, like 400,000 years ago, <laughs> not so much, but like, you know, yeah. for a really long time, I've been saying this stuff too. And so I think it's just kind of, yeah, these are not like new discoveries. Let's just like learn how to use them in our society. That would be the new thing. Or like, how do we, yeah, I don't know. But I do see people getting disappointed after like ayahuasca retreats or more depressed after mushroom retreats and stuff like that because they they have really high expectations. And that's like another thing when you start learning about how to do psychedelics, it's like, got to really try to not go in with expectations, but it's like next to impossible because we're human. (laughs) We're always like planning and like, you know, trying to picture the future so we can be best prepared for it. And so it's this really hard thing that I don't have any clear answers for people, but to, you know, just accept what the mushrooms give you and then go from there. (laughs) Yeah. It's like this weird, uh, almost contradiction on, basically all of our parts, but I think, I think it's okay. I'm, I say contradiction in like, I don't know how else to do it basically is you tell them to go educate themselves, but when they go educate themselves, they create all these expectations for what's about to happen. Cause they basically, they read up on, Oh, like, what am I going to see? What's going to happen? What am I going to think? And all this stuff. So you're going to get everyone's personal perspective on that. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they just have all these expectations to fit into. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree there. And so yeah, maybe trans- transition a little bit is still, of course, staying somewhat on topic. But um, the idea, so 
I think it's it's the idea that the mainstream are the people that I feel like come in disappointed. The people in the counterculture are somewhat already they kind of I feel like they kind of already kind of accept some of these things. Like, yeah, it's not a cure all. They kind of are more apt to be willing to not take this want cure all pill because they've already become yeah. skeptical of society feeding them those cure all pills. That's I think right. I think it's kind of like an inherent part of being counterculture is you no longer accept those cure all pills um <laughs> definitely yeah so i guess my question is, and i kind of already brought this up but is do you think that it will move away from counterculture and do you want it to in the sense of like and this and this can go this can go beyond like the research stuff i'm talking like within the culture itself around even like spirituality um, the ayahuasca retreats, whatever it is, do you think that that will become more quote unquote mainstream? I mean, I think it is, uh, to be honest. And just in these past few years, I think it is really it's slow. It's not going to be like a really obvious thing, but like when you go to a mushroom retreat or an ayahuasca ceremony in Peru, like at these retreat centers, it's not all counterculture people, right? Mm. It's like doctors and lawyers and all these like really professional people who are now curious and want to do it in this like safe container that they read about. I think the only counterculture people there you see are like the trip sitters who are volunteering and like living in the jungle for six months <laughs> just to close to the medicine. So I don't know. It's um, I think it's happening. I think that that's kind of cool that we're like turning on all these like really professional people or these people who maybe tried because these people who are like in their 40s, 50s, 60s who are like, you know, really white collar, like mm -hmm. grad school lawyers, all this kind of stuff. Like some of them were alive, like born in the 50s and 60s. And you would think that like they already got turned on and this would be like, you know, obvious to them. But I'm learning a lot that, you know, that's that's not exactly true. And maybe they tried acid or psychedelics when they were young and then, you know, they had families and they were and then the nineties and the eighties happened and all the drug war, crazy stuff. And they're really just like, Oh, but only now with can, I think legalizing cannabis is like really opened the door for this movement. I don't know if it's talked oh, about so much, but yeah. I feel like even though this research has been going on, like John Hopkins got their, um, like FDA approval to research psilocybin in humans in 2000, that's 20 years ago. And they didn't publish the first study to 2006. But even though that stuff was like happening, I really think that this whole mainstreaming is possible because of all the mainstreaming of cannabis and opening all these doors. And there's all these cannabis medical stories on the news, you know, these little girls who are cured from seizures because cannabis oil and then it was legalized for recreational use in all these states. I really think that was the first phase in in opening people's minds to other substances that are, you know, not addictive. Like mushrooms are saying, that, you know, they're not super addictive and all these things that they, you say about cannabis. It's not toxic. It's not going to cause cancer, you know, all these things. And so I think it's slowly happening and it's really interesting and um I just hope, yeah, I don't really even know what I hope, but I just hope that, you know, the more professionals we like turn on or whatever, I like using that <laughs> phrase. Thank you, Timothy Leary. For that yeah. one. Um, <laughs> I just think that 
like, is there an, like, what's the next step? Like if we can get all these like really successful people to take psychedelics, like if they're in government or whatever, like, can they then see that, what, that we need to change everything about our culture? Like, I don't really know what the next step is. And I kind of wonder, and I guess we'll see. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very, that's a big question. <laughs> Sorry yeah. guys. Yeah. yeah. No, no. Awesome. I, Podcast. Yeah, no, no, you're right. It's it's an interesting question. I've like wondered the same thing. And, and yeah, because I mean, my mind has become very optimistic just because of how fast the cannabis narrative changed. You would ask yeah, me five exactly. years ago, would we have this many states that at least have medical um, cannabis allowed? I would have been like, you're crazy. <laughs> There's no way. But the way the narrative switched so quickly, I, I think it's a lot, a lot of props is to the internet just because people just have so much access to information that it's, it's hard. Although it's, it's, it's getting back to the balancing. It's, it's easy to go out and seek false information, but it's also mm-hmm. like really hard to just deny it all because you're going to find some sort of little truth bombs as you're seeking out information on say like cannabis or psychedelics or something. There's just, there's just too much. And I think that's, plays an interesting factor too and which makes me to get to the optim uh where i'm optimistic it's like yeah where where could this go in in five years and i do wonder yeah. like what it will do on a societal level because I, I do think and i'm not saying this is all um psychedelics i i because i see psychedelics as useful as a tool to for people to just basically question their existence so where it beca- makes you aware so it's like it doesn't even need to be psych psychedelics it can be like uh i heard this philosopher and <clears throat> blanking on his name he used the phrase psychotechnology where it's like you don't necessarily need psychedelics because there's all these things in society that are making people question stuff like you see in the business world online on like instagram influencers less of them are wearing all this like suits and stuff they're they're in shorts and a t-shirt to me, that's like, that's a very, that's like almost a counterculture thing that's coming in because it's like, mm-hmm. that used to be, oh, no, no, no. If you're in the, if you're in the business world, you have to be in a suit and tie. You have to be very serious and all professional. You have a nice car, you have a wife and three kids and this nice house. And all of a sudden that's, that's no longer the thing. People are getting, you know, they're waiting to get married. They're waiting to have kids. They're, you know, they're realizing, oh, I don't travel when I'm 80 years old. I travel maybe in my twenties and I do it really cheap. It's just these these things that I see happening, and it makes me like wonder where's all this coming from because it is it's it's still like I wouldn't call it mainstream, but it's definitely more mainstream than it used to be. <laughs> where where yeah. if like someone was doing that back twenty years ago, they'd be like, oh, like he's a degenerate. Like what is he doing? You know, or a hippie, right? Or, like or a, total a hippie. hippie, yeah. And I still get yeah. called that, of course, because you know I well, grow yeah. up my hair, but. <laughs> um, <laughs> Still, yeah, it's it's a lot of it, it makes me really optimistic about where stuff could go. Uh even even in these times of like people a lot of negative political stuff and the coronavirus and all this stuff happening, I still see a lot to be optimistic about, which is maybe an interesting thing to get into as well. Hmm. Yeah, no, I think we are. I mean, there's a lot going on and I think uh all the cultural stuff that's going on with the coronavirus and the protests are really, it's all kind of happening. It kind of reminds me, I mean, not that I was alive, but when I read about like the sixties, you know, like I read about the sixties a lot lately because I'm like, 
really interested in the origins of the psychedelic movement and stuff. And like mm-hmm. a lot of people attribute like a lot of the uh, cultural changes about like civil rights and women's rights to like LSD. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, are we going through a similar thing now? It might be like mushrooms and microdosing or like whatever, but it's like, maybe we are all kind of waking up or not all of us clearly. Right. <laughs> when you start, right. unfortunately, but, but like a, a lot more than 10 years ago. And I think that could be said for 1967, you know, there were so many more people turning on and opening their minds and seeing that, you know, maybe women aren't second class citizens and like all this kind of stuff that was happening back then. And so I don't know, I get excited. I am also a little optimistic. Um, it's a weird time in America though. And I don't yeah. know how deep I want to get into that, but it's, yeah. uh, no, I, I think I don't actually live in America. I don't know if you know that, but I've been watching yeah, it all from the outside. You're in Mexico, right? Yeah. 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 yeah it's, and it's it's crazy a lot. times. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it is. Uh, no, I like your point about you know LSD and stuff in the '60s because although I said I don't think psychedelics are like everything, I think I do look for foundational building blocks because I'm very much someone that believes that there's these building blocks that maybe you're not aware how much influence they have, but you know, if someone has a profound, I think the reason I find psychedelics persuasive is someone has a profound experience. They, a lot of them become really open to talking about it. It like makes them want to be open to talking about it. And then they talk to their friends about it and they give them these ideas and they start reading more books and they start supporting more people. And those things have ripple effects. Like it's like you're one person that just your light shines and it shines pretty far and yeah so i think i think that's why your point about lst in the 60s is really interesting and i agree it's because i i I think it played a foundational role of just people questioning what's going on um but that the other part of me is also why although i I think it's going to become more mainstream more people wanting to do this in a way i think like the psychedelic community will always be counterculture because counter it is like the tool of being counterculture because it does this thing of questioning what culture accepts so it's like if everyone accepts it in culture they're still going to find a way to use psychedelics to question what's even going on in culture after they've accepted that thing so it's going to be a constant cycle i think of like it no it's the tool to question that broad spectrum thing uh yeah so We'll see. Well, yeah. that's where I'm really curious to where where this stuff will go in my lifetime. I, I'm like pumped to be alive during this kind of re-revolution. Same. I'm really pumped to be alive and to be like involved in a way. Uh, both of us, you know, mm-hmm. like talking about it on the air and writing about it, keeping up with it, and reporting on it. It's it's really exciting. I I love my work. Uh, I'm always just so intrigued. I have. I get the privilege of having all these fascinating conversations all yeah. the time. And it is really interesting. I, I am feeling it like, you know, and just, uh, yeah. It, it, another thing that um, you said that it kind of keeps thinking, I keep thinking like what happens when the whole culture becomes the counterculture? <laughs> like if we are <laughs> just like slowly yeah. opening everyone up and, but I even think within countercultures, like even within the psychedelic community, there's like the mainstream psychedelic community. And then there's like all, all these other little oh, subcultures. Yeah. And uh, so 
I think even, yeah, within our little niche, there's just so much going on. And yeah, the more psychedelics you take and people you talk to in the different little subgroups, I think the more you open your mind too to other possibilities. Like you can start in the mainstream group and you're like, oh, maps and the research and this is all great. And then the deeper you go, it's just like, it's crazy. It's That's something that I'm kind of involved in in my personal work. It's like, you know, I kind of put all these people on pedestals when I first got involved in reporting on this stuff and to realize that they're not gods and we're all people and they make mistakes too and all this stuff. It's hard lessons to learn, um, mm-hmm. especially being like a youngish woman in the movement. You know, it's like at first people really wanted to just like not listen to me at all and just like shove my weird opinions to the side as like not what in line with their mission. And um, I'm glad I'm getting an opportunity to to keep telling stories and to not prove myself, but to prove I'm not just out here trying to like cause a ruckus. <laughs> so yeah. like, I'm really just trying to like give a lot of different points of view a voice because um, even within our own community, people can be silenced and stuff. And uh, so, yeah, there's a lot there. Yeah, that's, <laughs> So you gave me a couple of thoughts there of like, I'm glad you like realized that because I mean, that's kind of something I've used to keep me confident enough to do something like this. Because, you know, I'm in my mid 20s. I still tell myself like, what the fuck do I know? Um, and realizing that although the leaders of any movement, they have a lot of wisdom, but they're still human. Yeah. And that realization yeah. of they make mistakes, they have a lot to learn. We're all we're all trying to learn. And for me, and I, and I hope you do, do, like you, I just use it as a way to, I'm going to tell people like, Hey, I'm still learning. <laughs> like, I don't, totally I don't have, the, I don't have the answers, but here's what I think I know so far. Do with it what you will. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. yeah. And it can be hard in a public position, right? To like, yeah. like, I really want to like, and part of learning, I want to learn always. And part of learning is like, realizing when you're wrong and admitting to it mm-hmm. or being open to someone telling you Absolutely. when you might not be totally right. And that shit hurts. Like, I don't know, it's from childhood. You're like, uh-huh. <laughs> but it's just part of the process. And like, yeah, I'm really trying to not take things personally and to just like keep it all, uh, you know, to further my own education. It's not like a personal attack when right. I am wrong or things like that. It's a really hard thing to be aware of. I think, people really often don't want to admit those kinds of things, even within the movement. And you're like, I thought you were like a super woke psychedelic expert. And you're like, think you're always right. Like, how does that, do you take enough medicine? I don't know. No, I'm kidding. I'm not (laughs) trying to start any like fights or anything, but it's definitely hard. And, um, but as long as we're like aware of it, I think that's like the, the biggest step. And, uh, to just keep going, to not let it stop you. I can be really consumed by it sometimes. It can cause a lot of dread and you're just like, oh, do I really want to keep doing this? Is it fucking worth yeah, all the stress? Yeah, I feel that, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it is in the end. The medicine always tells, the mushrooms always tell me it is in the end. So I have to listen to them, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you made, yeah, you made me think of um, kind of the point we said earlier about how you know, this idea that, oh, you like the, the cure-all, but like branching off of that, you also see it, it's not the cure-all because there's a lot of drama in the community mm-hmm. of like people thinking they're right about X or uh, this This is where it gets into more of like the woo-woo spirituality side of things. Because for me personally, I just find all that shit interesting. I don't need to think it's like 
true as as much as someone else, but I really am fascinated about A, what are they saying? B, what is it doing for them? And C, like, why do they think it matters? I, I think all that stuff is really interesting about how it affects them in seeing their understanding of the world, seeing their purpose, and what they then do action-wise when they have those beliefs. That's my fascination. So I get to be super fascinated by all the the woo-woo stuff because I see it as it's not really necessarily that important to some to some extent. I think there is there's whenever I say stuff it's like there's 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 a line there where it's too far. Um but I am or where I get fascinated because I also am outspoken about this because I'm still for example, and we don't need to go too far down this route because I think it's a little bit off topic, but to like kind of give you a perspective where I'm going is like, I still criticize religion. I'm not an atheist, but I criticize religion and I do promote people to pursue spirituality, but I have a very broad idea of what spirituality is. It can have some woo-woo stuff in there. Good for you. It can have, it, it can be, if someone's an atheist, they can be spiritual. There's, it's just like your way of, of, finding purpose. But what I found in the psychedelic community a lot of times is, you know, they want to start talking about like their experiences. Oh, I like experience something more true than life itself. I'm like, maybe <laughs> you might be right. <laughs> but what if you're not <laughs> like, so, so it's like, so it's like when, when uh, I, I see those kind of, to bring up the religious side of things, those religious aspects coming in where I, I try to be the kind of the voice of skepticism and open, but still open, but still skeptical, be like, okay, what what are you doing when you tell everyone, no, this, this, this is the way it is. Like DMT aliens, those are, those are the real reality. We need, everyone needs to follow with what I experienced there. And I, I see that a lot still. And I see that, that absolute, the, these absolutes creep in. And maybe like, that's my one thing I bet on in life is, Anytime someone's like just trying to present you with all these absolutes, I'm like, eh, maybe, maybe we need to calm down a little bit. We all, we're all curious here, but we all have our limitations of what we could actually know. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my spiel on the whole issue of we're all not as, maybe not as woke as we think we are. (laughs) (laughs) I know even us, right? No, I feel you. The spirituality thing's so interesting. Like for me as a reporter and I like, you know, I'm really trying to stay non-biased, but it's like so hard. But mm-hmm. like, I am also so epically curious to hear about the spirituality stuff that people go through and yeah. and to learn about it all, right? But I also am a skeptic. I'm not a super spiritual person. I'm really finding myself in that regard. And, and there's definitely, yeah, like a right or a wrong or a true or a false it all seems kind of silly to me in a mm. way like that, that it could be right or wrong, that it's like, it's clearly an individual process, spirituality. And yeah. to, to enforce your individual beliefs on someone else. Yeah. I, yeah. I, 
I don't want to insult anyone, but it's a tricky one for me. I am also super, I love hearing about it all mm-hmm. and I'm very fascinated and I love trip reports. I love, I do sometimes these like really in-depth interviews with people for like over an hour or hour 45 minutes where they tell me about like their spiritual practices and they'll go into specific trips and it's amazing, but yeah. I'm not like, is this true or false? Can we prove this is right, right or wrong? Right. Like, that makes no sense to me. It's like- no, Agreed. Like, what did that mean to you, right? And mm-hmm. and then how is that helping you as an individual? And, uh, and yeah, I uh, definitely is also open but skeptical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, and, I, and I'll admit, I've kind of gotten rid of some of my dogma around that stuff over the past few years just because, you know, personal experience even. And, and maybe that someone listening will be like, well, then you're biased because you can't just go off your personal experience, whatever. But it's like, no, it, it's it's more of what it does to you and like what it does to you and then makes you act in a certain way. Uh, and for me, it made me just more open of like and curious and stay open so I don't like dogmatically follow someone's view. Because like if you have an experience, if you were, if I, like for example, I was borderline atheist and then you have, all of a sudden you go on an experience and you have an experience of seeing like a goddess that you never even read about or heard about and then you go look it up and it's real. You're like, oh, well, that's interesting. <laughs> like, like what, It is, yeah. though, right? That is interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, so it's like, what do I do with that? <laughs> I'm not just going to say, oh, my mind was just completely playing tricks on me. Maybe it was. I fully admit that maybe it was. But it's also the case of, as humans, I, I say, you know, we don't really know what's real. So it's like, what's what's really important? Because don't get me wrong, I I've, I find the, the pursuits of science super important. The research that MAPS is doing is a very scientific pursuit that's very important to, to know all that information. It's probably the most reliable information we have in this world. However... <laughs> I do also admit that we have limitations of what we can know. So it's like some people's pursuit of truth isn't necessarily that scientific route. Their pursuit of truth is to just pursue a way for them to be happy. Because really, you know, even in the, even I, I would say even in like the scientific community, like if you ask the scientists why they love to do what they're doing, they they desire to know, you know, what's true out there. But really what they'll tell you yeah. is that desire to go after that truth and to to come to that realization, that desire really came to because they're happy doing it. Maybe they're curious or maybe they just like the the pursuit of it. But at the end of the day, it's because, oh, this makes you happy. Like you have a passion for this. You feel a spiritual passion to do X. So it's like that realization for me told me, okay, you're right. It, it isn't doesn't matter if it's real in the objective sense of part of the cosmos or whatever, which that's a topic for another day, but I think in a way it kind of is. But <laughs> but the point is, is like people have those realizations. They have those pers- those profound perspective changing moments that it changed what they thought was true. It doesn't matter if it is true in this other sense of the word truth. It's true in the sense that it made them happier or made them feel like they're understanding something more about themselves. And I think that's the important point. So I guess to kind of like flip this back on a little bit off track, but I found that like really important to stick up for this kind of new age movement around spirituality. I know you're interested in that as well. That's why I kind of bring it up is because 
the research stuff is great. I'm it, when I talk to most people, that's the shit I bring up. I fully admit that. But there's also like there's certain people out there that I even think they almost become more persuaded if they are on the the religious side where they're religious skeptical where they, maybe they still call themselves a Christian, but they're like, mm, I'm having my doubts. Like maybe they're in their early 20s and they got to college and they realized there's all these other worldviews in their small town, whatever, wasn't exactly giving them all the information. <laughs> so they go out in the world and, and all of a sudden they start. And I feel like that conversation is almost also important to have with people about the, yeah, the, the, I would say the the even more counterculture side of psychedelics, which is the kind of community around spirituality and like defending it in a way to some extent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And to have this like whole other uh, way to experience spirituality, I right. think was really interesting for me. Cause like, you know, yeah, uh, I was sort of raised Christian. My parents weren't super dogmatic about it. Just like right. trying to give me some morals, you know, as a little mm-hmm. kid. And then it was like, whatever. And I was never, I was a pretty strong atheist. I think for a long time as a young person, just like none of that shit made sense. Nothing makes sense. Weed makes sense. Like that's all or something. <laughs> I don't know. But like, you know, and then I'm starting to get more into like the psychedelic research and like, well, more what I'm getting into is like, like research on indigenous use and ceremony. And then the spirituality stuff starts to like make a lot more sense or like it starts to make this sense in this way. I never thought possible that like the, the church I went to as a kid on Sundays and hated it never made sense in that way. And now I'm like, Oh, well, you know, these other things, why do we all have similar trips or why do the mushrooms teach so many people the same lesson? And then mm-hmm. I do start to get like, you know, I get excited because it it starts to feel way more real than any sort of spiritual stuff that I learned before did. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a really, I, uh, I really like have been... I've been doing a lot of research on, on ketamine and like, you would think that only the plant medicines would have these like spirits or whatever, right? Like the mushrooms and mother ayahuasca, but like, yeah, people even refer to the ketamine goddess and like, that, like, yeah, they're like, there's this old book. So I'm doing a lot of research on this one female psychedelic researcher from the seventies, Marcia Moore. She wrote this book on ketamine called journeys into the bright world, which is very like esoteric. She was like one of the original yoga teachers in the U S like back in the sixties, she was like one of these original new age people. And she got really, she wasn't into LSD. She had tried it. She tried, uh, cannabis. She's like, meh. And then she got really into ketamine in the seventies and like having these like spiritual experiences in like the full K hole and like, talking to the ketamine goddess, the high priestess. She used all the entity language that is now becoming like kind of mainstream in this world. Like there was a scientific study on DMT entities or like aliens. And I was just like, because people really um, don't know about this book because everyone thought she was kind of crazy. And then she died really mysteriously in 1978. And I'm like trying to write this bio about her. And so I'm like really deep in this world, but we all like kind of dismissed her like crazy ketamine talk. And Mm. now it's like so relevant. And now people are talking this way, like all the time. And, and, and her 
theories about how ketamine could be used therapeutically were really ahead of its time. No one was doing this in the 70s. And I don't know. It's just all really interesting to me. I think that, like, you kept using the word pursuit before. And I kept thinking, like, regardless of your spiritual perspective, I think that psychedelics are really like a pursuit to your authentic self in a way, like, who you can be, like, who you really are at your deepest core. Like, I think who we all present are like, just these people that are reacting to all these different things that happen in our lives. And so we're like this way because of this and this way because of that. And we like learn to behave ourselves in certain ways, not super consciously. And on psychedelics, like especially on a higher dose of something like mushrooms and you think about the weird cultural ways you act, it can just all seem so silly. I think I laugh like really hard when I like realize (laughs) these things. It's just like, why do we do that? Like, we're all so crazy. I, uh, I keep thinking, I have a friend who had this really powerful mushroom trip, a woman and she started thinking about why women carry purses. And she was like, this is crazy. Why do we have to carry all this shit around with us all the time? What do we need all this stuff for? And she's never used a purse since. And it's like a really kind of small realization. But it was this like thing that was actually, it was like, why do we do this like weird cultural thing that's expected of us? Like, fuck that. I'm going to put my phone in my pocket, be a rebel. Like, I don't know. I'm just kind of getting off track. But like, I think that, There's a lot to it, but I'm kind of, at least my mission, I'm not like looking for entities, even if I start seeing and hearing them, you know, it's more, I'm looking for my authentic self. I think like, Mm -hmm. like who can I be? Who am I? (laughs) I don't go in with those kinds of intentions, but I do get little tiny lessons that add to that picture. I think every time I often get the same lessons and I just keep expanding on it. But, uh, Yeah, but I think that's just my individual journey. I'm not saying that's what everyone's looking for, you know, and I think that's important to realize that we are all just individual humans and there's no, I don't think there's any right and wrong. I think psychedelics kind of start to teach you that even though we can forget when we're not in that space. I I agree because, yeah, it's my, my big thing is like, yeah, maybe I'm, I'm not saying everyone should be as open to stuff as I am. But I guess maybe like the one, cause I, I do find, yeah, everyone's individual pursuit and to, to awareness of themselves. That's, that's their thing to do it. And, and sure there's people to seek guidance from and all that, but yeah, it, it gets to the point of, I think some people just have interesting language to describe certain things too, where it becomes mm-hmm. where you get these like little differences and maybe they interpreted like an experience of something and they, they like to use that more like goddess and God language. I think that's okay. And so I guess maybe like my only thing is as long as like you go into it and and if people like rely on those, on those kind of like, Oh, I, I seek sought out guidance from this goddess I experienced or the medicine or, or talking like the medicine is like the entity, which maybe it is, <laughs> but, um, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. But, but I guess like my big thing is as long as where, where it's like, okay, I can, I can reason with you if you're like, this is, this is the way I see it. I could be wrong, 
but this is how I see it. You know, that type of thing where it's like, all I need is that tiny grain of skepticism because there is those people out there that they're like, they're certain and they will like fight you to the death <laughs> to prove that, that your experience was wrong. And, and that's like, yeah, that's like the big thing that I, I try to deter is you're right. It's like people pursue it how you want, understand it how you want, interpret your experience how you want, but then don't go and push it upon others, you know? And, and that's where like it gets into people that think they are fully enlightened and everyone else is just, just, just not. And I guess (laughs) this is somewhat of like thing that happened to me recently not to get like too much into um, drama or anything like that, but (laughs) to kind of like leave it somewhat vague but it's like this this idea around um, ego death, I think is a good way to connect for people listening, is that is like kind of a, a big, like, how do I say this? Achieving an ego death is almost like a way of passage in some sense, or people think it is. But what I found interesting is that there's there's a lot of people out there, maybe this is just my opinion, but where they're like, oh, like you experience an ego death, but I see your ego here, here, and here. <laughs> it's like I, I hear that all the time this happened to me like this is like the first time it really happened to me personally but I've seen it other people do it to other people and I was just like this is this is the issue it's like you think there's one true way to achieve this thing and the other reality is is like maybe it is the case your ego can go away forever but I'm willing to bet nope <laughs> you always have those little pieces of your ego because it's healthy you need your ego to survive and it's, it's I was just going to say that, yeah, it, like, yeah, that would be impossible. <laughs> and, and the thing I found persuasive, and this is what I was persuaded by to like kind of explain this is it's not about keeping the ego death. Like the experience is good, but the point is, is like, you're just aware that the ego is just like this, this made up thing. <laughs> like it's like this customizable thing that you can kind of, you get to mold and shape and evaluate and change. It's not set in stone. <laughs> That's what it, the, the, I yeah. tried to like explain that, but they're still like, oh, you, you will understand once you fully achieve an ego death. And that's the stuff. Patronizing. Yeah. That's the stuff yeah. where it's like, you, you don't, you don't see that that's your ego right there. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> like just saying that to yeah. me is so ego. Like just, the, just the fact that you felt the need to say that. And that's just like one example of. And I think it's important to kind of like say these things, not like necessarily, I don't want to come across as like I'm bitching, but it's more of like aware that I don't want people to come into the space and be like, everyone's all peaceful and cheery. There's no drama. There's no judgments and all. No, you need to be aware those things happen and you still have to be aware of that because you don't want to be the one to do that in such a negative way. Because some of those people, I think, feel like psychedelics have made them actually just their walls are up and they can't see that they're doing it. And, and I think that's like an important mm-hmm. thing to remember for people like going in. It's like an educational tool of, hey, we're still going to have, we're still human. And yeah. remember that even however woke you think you feel, <laughs> you're still a human. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. But no, I mean, I feel you. Like, I can come across that sometimes, just like, yeah, especially as a woman in the community. Yeah. And it's like, people always want to correct me and tell me what I'm wrong. It's always some like dude on the internet. And I, I really had to start taking it so personally. Mm-hmm. It was just like, this is not about me, right. you know? And I think that's what people forget 
this, like, like certain things are about you. Right. But like, yeah, when you're trying to like talk to someone on this like intimate level and then they're making it about like, well, their ego death was stronger than your ego <laughs> death. And do you even ego death, bro? It's just like, that's for real. This yeah. isn't about that. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, the competitive thing too. Like it is cool that there's more women in the psychedelic movement right now because the competitive thing kind of seemed a bit masculine, like not to, mm-hmm. like nothing's, I'm not a very binary person in general and I hate to make things masculine and feminine, but like the idea, I keep hearing it from dudes though, where it's like, oh yeah, have you ever even lost your ego or like, like, or just like talking about ego death so much. And I got confused. I was like, what does that even mean? <laughs> like, like I, Cause I don't really experience that so much on mushrooms. Maybe I wasn't taking enough or something. I was like, I'm still me. Like, I don't right. really know what you're talking about. But then like other substances, I've totally lost any, you know, idea that I was human at all. Like, well, I'm doing a lot of research on salvia divinorum right uh, now. Yeah. And like, so that's the substance if you take a really high dose, which is like a normal dose when you do it with friends and you take like a bong rip of salvia extract, you like totally are no longer you anymore. And I'm like, is that ego death? And then when you come back, you're just like so glad to actually be alive because you thought maybe you were dead or that just everything's so different. Your mental faculties, your sense of self is totally gone. But I don't think that's what people mean when they say ego death, like on LSD and mushrooms, it's more like this sense of feeling like connected with everything and just like your ego driven motives are just like way less important but I get confused when I hear bros like competing over ego death I'm like because yeah what I had a couple near death like not near death experiences where I almost died but some of these stronger psychedelics like ketamine and salvia if you take a high dose you have this like near death experience type trip and I was like well, have you ever done that, bro? <laughs> because I don't want to do that again. That was fucking scary right. as hell. And like, yeah, I really don't. So what I meant to say, though, is that I think that it's cool that there's more women in the movement. And it's like, like not that they make it less competitive because women are still super competitive. But that I think that there's this kind of like feminine attitude that it's like more just about you know, connecting with yourself and all these things and like five grams in darkness, heroic dose. Like even the word heroic is kind of masculine, right? Yeah. It's like, no, that's it's not true. like that's goddess dose yeah. and all this kind of stuff. And it seems kind of just like who can go the deep, who can fucking lose themselves the hardest. And it's like, that's not good for everyone. A true. There's a lot of people that are point. way too sensitive and that vulnerable and that like a lot, I think a lot of people can do psychedelics, like even more than the, mainstream would like to admit like we say that certain mental health conditions aren't good for and I'm like I think that if you're doing it really safely in small doses to start really getting comfortable and you have a trip sitter and you're really like doing all this stuff in a really safe way that like can really be for anyone um but oh I'm losing my (laughs) train of thought but just that I think it's more about uh that this whole competitive thing about psychedelics i'd really like that to be less <laughs> and, and it's yeah. cool that i think it is I, I mean it's certain people it still definitely is and like you know then there's this whole world where it's like well have you ever smoked dmt on acid and it's like what would be the point of that that sounds fucking crazy 
Yeah. But no, I don't I know. Yeah. And so yeah, like this isn't a competition. I don't like it's also like I've been trying to really fight back on this idea that you have to take 3.5 grams of mushrooms for your first trip, like a whole eighth. I think that was like the general wisdom in the underground community when I first bought mushrooms. It was right. a whole eighth and they were like, eat the whole bag. But I'm really into teaching people like, no, start slow, get to know the process, what your body feels like. There's no need to like totally blast yourself off in the outer space. Like psychedelics can be this like, there's so many levels and that can be like a goal to achieve these like top level ego death type trips, but like take it slow. I think there's, you could kind of traumatize yourself if you go too far too fast. Like there's no need to, there's no rush <laughs> it's not a competition it's like just do what feels right you know <laughs> yeah i i fully agree with like all of that because <laughs> yeah the the competition thing is something i've noticed um with like people there's i'm not gonna name names but there's a popular figure he has a lot of content online um and, and i get a little worried that this individual does that and i feel like encouraging other people to do it this way in a sense. And and I'm not like really one to like criticize people's way of doing it. It's just when they start saying other people should do it this way, that's when I get a little concerned. Um, and, And it's that idea of like, Oh, how enlightened can you be? Or like, how deep can you go like deeper and deeper? And I got all these awakenings and all these further, further down the hole. And it's like, not everyone needs that. And, and it gets to the point of, I, I, and I've talked about this in some other episodes, so we don't need to get to like too deep on it. But um, this idea that I do think it's important for most people to, like th- th- people can go and pursue that. But like at the end of the day, most people are going to have like one foot in their spirituality side and one foot in like typical society side and like operating in society. Like there is people yeah. that go way deeper into like the, the more woo-woo, hippy-dippy side. That's great. And if that's like you're calling to do that, absolutely go and do it. But we don't necessarily need everyone to do that, <laughs> to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Uh, and yeah, I feel like that's like an important thing to remember. And, and the competitive part, it really resonated with me as well is because I was a little bit like that, even I guess somewhat recently. Um, and then I had an experience and this is where if maybe it was my subconscious, maybe it was entity, I don't know. They basically told me to humble myself because, <laughs> you know, like, nice. you, hey, know, yeah, it's you like, got the message. yeah, it's like, it's like, <laughs> knock it off. Like, you don't know, <laughs> you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. So yeah. <laughs> None of us do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, I feel like that's a good Closing thoughts. So for your closing thoughts, so tell everyone where they can get all your stuff. <laughs> Read more uh, about yeah, you. Yes. So I wrote a book on mushrooms. It's called Your Psilocybin Mushroom Companion. And it's really <laughs> meant to be like a, a guide on how to use mushrooms safely. But just <laughs> because of this whole conversation, I want to make clear that uh, I don't really tell people like exactly what to do. It's not mm-hmm. like step one, step two. It's more just like, this is what works for a lot of different people. You can pick and choose what feels right for you. And that's everything from like dose to set and setting integration. So you can do this stuff safely. And I also, um, I report about psychedelics, especially just like um, educational harm reduction stuff 
uh, for Double Blind Mag and Psychedelics Today. And you guys can find a lot of my articles on my website, michellejanikian.com. And I'm pretty active on Instagram. I post a lot of my work on there. You can follow me. My handle is michelle.janikian. So yeah, that's where I'm at. (laughs) Cool. Check her out. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. This is a good chat. Good chat.